So back in the mid-80s, there was a uh, song that came out. And it was a song in which the, the verses were sung so quickly, so fast, that nobody knew what they said. I don't think the singer even knew what they said. But everybody knew what the chorus was because everybody could actually sing the chorus. So, you know, whenever that song would come on the radio, I'd be driving in the tractor and the verses would go along and be good. And then, it's the end of the world as we know it. Right? You know that, right? And I feel fine. Back to the verse. It's the end of the I know. What do you expect from a guy wearing Darth Vader socks? But listen, REM, right? Mid-80s. Started out as a college band in Athens, Georgia, singing about the end of the world and saying, I feel fine. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. It's really sort of this interesting thing, I think. Throughout the course of human history, there's always been a fascination with the end of the world. There's always been a fascination with how what we call history and what we call time is going to kind of wind down, come to a close, come to an end. Not too long ago, just a few years ago, in fact, people kind of had this uh, momentary freak out that 2012 was going to be the end of the world. Do you guys remember that? And the reason why they thought 2012 was going to be the end of the world was because uh, the Mayan calendar stopped at 2012. What was really funny to me is that the Mayans didn't predict that the world was going to end in 2012. They ran out of room. So there's always been this sort of fascination with the way the world is going to end. And, and certainly in recent years, our fascination has only grown to the point of having movies and television shows made about the end of the world. Cataclysmic weather events, zombie apocalypses, asteroids hitting the earth, all and more have become main events in popular culture. Not only is R.E.M. or was R.E.M. singing about the end of the world, but now we literally have a TV show called Doomsday Preppers. This cultural phenomenon of prepping for catastrophe has grown. And there seems to be something natural about wondering about uh, how and when it will all come to an end. Something natural about us, I think, wants to know the way the story is going to end. And even in the Christian church, even in the Christian church, the idea of history as we know it coming to an end has, has always been part of the fabric of belief, and it's always been connected to Jesus' coming. The belief that Jesus would end history with his coming and that eternity would then begin wasn't something his followers made up in order to explain his absence. His earliest disciples were looking for it. In fact, they asked him about it. In the days leading up to his crucifixion uh, that we have recorded in the end of Matthew and Mark and Luke, the disciples ask him directly, when will these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? That's a curious question to be asking a man you're looking face to face. In Matthew chapter 24 it's really fascinating. Jesus responded to this question first by explaining what events and occurrences were not signs of his coming. And then what events and occurrences were signs of his coming. And then, we have to see this, Jesus throws a curveball 
at his disciples. He throws a curveball at us. For those of us who want to know how it's all going to end and when it's going to happen with certainty and clarity, Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So my apologies to Michael Stipe, but it's not the end of the world as we know it. Just as a side note, if anyone ever says to you, I believe that the world's going to end on March 21st, 2016 or 2017, you can automatically know they're wrong. Because Jesus himself says, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And so when Jesus says this, he redirects the disciples. He redirects them from what they thought was their primary concern to what their primary concern really ought to be. You see, it isn't a matter of when Jesus returns. It isn't a matter of when this present age comes to a conclusion. It's a matter of whether we will be prepared when it happens. Simply put, this passage is really just about this. Believers in Jesus are to be prepared for Christ's return. The real question for us is how does preparation, uh, or what does preparation look like? There have been several attempts over the course of the last 2,000 years to predict when Jesus would return, and a great number of these attempts even pointed to exact dates. We like to talk about Nostradamus being able to predict certain events in the future, but he also predicted that aliens would come back and take over the world at some point. So far he's been wrong. I don't know. In 960, the year 960, uh, a German theologian named Bernard predicted the year would, that the world would end in 962. I don't know what he did in 963. In 1874, a man named, named Charles Taze Russell who became the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he proclaimed that 1874 was the year when Jesus would return. And then when he was still around in 1875, he sort of reinterpreted it to say that Jesus did return, but it was invisible. <laughs> then later on, he changed the date to 1914. And very recently, a man named Harold Camping made five or six predictions, the last two being May 21st, 2011, and then when May 21st came and went, the, then October 21st, 2011. And I understand the fascination, I understand the desire to know and predict that moment in time in which Jesus will return, but to focus on that is to miss the point of what Jesus actually says to his disciples then and now. To, to focus on the due date, so to speak, is kind of like being a college student wanting a syllabus at the beginning of the course so that you can know how long you can procrastinate until you have to do what is required of you, right? That's what the disciples are doing. And Jesus' call is to always be prepared, always be prepared, to always be ready precisely because the timing is unknown. It's because it will be sudden. So we, we look at this and we see that, 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 that Jesus calls his disciples to prepare, to be ready because of the suddenness of his return and the severity of his return. Let's look, look first at the sudden, suddenness. Jesus talks about the suddenness by talking about Noah and the flood in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 24. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be sudden. Jesus goes on in verse uh, 40 and 41, verses 40 and 41. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. That's sudden. What we see here is that, that Jesus is calling on his disciples to prepare because his coming will be at a time when is unexpected, when, when it, 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 you're in the middle of, of everyday life. As, as we see that people in the time of Noah and the flood, they were just doing their stuff. They were eating, and they were drinking, and they were, they were going about the, the, making plans for the future. They were marrying and giving their, their daughters and their sons into marriage, going about everyday life, and all of a sudden they were interrupted by the flood. And Jesus says, when he comes, that there will be two men in the field, everyday life. They're working, they're, they're reaping their harvest, and all of a sudden, one's going to be there and one's going to be gone. Or two women will be, be grinding at the mill, making their flour, and it will be so sudden that in a blink of an eye, one will be gone and one will remain. And so Jesus says, don't be caught off guard, don't be caught unaware, don't be caught unprepared, because it will be sudden. Do not wait until tomorrow to do what you must do today to prepare yourself, because tomorrow may be too late. And so Jesus says, prepare because of the suddenness of his coming, the suddenness of his return. But we also see that Jesus says, prepare, because in that suddenness, there is a severity of judgment. Notice what he says, that it's going to be like the days of Noah and the flood. Those who were caught unaware, those who were unprepared, were swept away. Being swept away by the flood, that's not a good thing. That's a serious judgment. In fact, if you look at those early chapters of Genesis, what you see is that the world had fallen into such a state of, of corruption, such a state of sin and degradation, that God only saved Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives. And all of the rest of humanity was swept away to death, to judgment. That's a severe thing. And when Jesus connects his coming with the flood of Noah, let's notice he's not coming to pass out free ice cream sundaes. He's not coming to give you lollipops and a pat on the head. He is coming to bring judgment. And it's a severe judgment. There will be one and two will be in the field. One will be taken away and one left. There will be two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken away and, and one left. Being taken away in verses 40 and 41 parallels being swept away by the flood in verse 38. Those unprepared for the coming of Jesus will be like those unprepared for the coming of the flood. They will be separated for judgment, taken away. Those who are left to remain are left to remain in the presence of Jesus. So Jesus says, prepare. There's going to be, it's serious. It's sudden and it's serious. So prepare. And notice what he says in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And he tells this parable, because you don't know you know that he is coming, but you don't know when he's coming. Be like that homeowner 
Be like that homeowner who heard a rumor in the marketplace that there was a thief on the loose and that he was, he was looking to hit every house along this street. Be like that owner. You don't know when he's coming, but you just know he is. So you set a guard. You are yourself the guard. You're on guard. Verse 44, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Stay awake, looking for him to return, living as though he will return in any second because it will be sudden and it will be severe when he does. Robbie Robbins was a pilot serving in the Air Force during the first Iraq war. After his 300th mission, he and his crew were given permission to immediately return home. So they flew to Massachusetts, piled into a car, and drove home to western Pennsylvania. When he was dropped off in front of his home, Robbins was surprised because on a banner outside of the house, it read, Welcome Home, Dad. And Robbins was surprised because he hadn't had time to call his wife to let her know he was coming home. He barely had enough time to pack his bags and, and get home. Robin said, when I walked into the house, the kids, about half-dressed for school, screamed, Daddy! Susan came running down the hall. She looked terrific. Hair was fixed, makeup on, and a crisp yellow dress. How did you know, I asked. I didn't, she answered through tears of joy. Once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us. So we were ready every day. I think that's kind of the idea here. We know Jesus is coming. We know the end is nigh. So be prepared. Stay awake. Be on guard. The real question, I think, or one of the questions that we have to ask is, well, if we are to be prepared, if we are to stand on, stay on guard, how? How do we do these things? Our collect for today, our prayer for today, points us in that direction, the direction of how. We prayed this morning, Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal. See, that, that, that collect, that prayer of the day, as we pray those words, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're actually praying scripture. We heard Andre read this morning Romans chapter 13 verses 11 through 14 and Paul there says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Why? Why does Paul say this? Why does Paul call us, uh, uh, the, uh, the followers of Jesus, to be done with the works of darkness? Because this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Wake up, Paul says. Wake up, he writes, because the day is at hand. The night is gone. Live today in the light of the future, and the future is Jesus coming. So live today like tomorrow or the next minute or the next hour is the time when he returns. 
And here in Romans chapter 13, the day most likely refers to Jesus' return at that point in time the Father has established. Here in Romans chapter 13, night is the darkness of this present evil age which is being cast out and will be destroyed when Jesus does return. Here in the present, because of the reality of Jesus' return, Paul calls us to prepare for the future in the way we live. Be done with the ways of evil and darkness. Be done with it. Notice what Paul says. He uses this language in which we are putting on and taking off clothes. Cast off the works of darkness. What happens if you get a a, a gravy stain on your favorite shirt that you were wearing on Thanksgiving? At some point, you've got to cast it off, right? You've got to get rid of it. It's got to go right in the wash. That's the same sort of metaphor, the same imagery that Paul is using here. Take off the dirty, disgusting, nasty clothes of darkness and be done with them. Be done with the works of evil and rather take on, put on the armor of light, that which God provides. And our, our collect hits it right on the head. Lord, Lord Almighty God, give us grace. Give us grace to be done with evil and with sin. Give us grace to put upon ourselves the weapons of light, to put upon ourselves our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we would live making no provision for the flesh, but living for the light. That is how we prepare for the coming of Jesus. By living every day, knowing that he will come and come soon. So we're ready every day. We begin with repentance we begin with confession. We, repent, we, we, we begin, as a matter of God's grace, saying to him, God, you are right. I am a sinner. I have fallen so short of your glory, and I need Jesus. That's where preparation begins. We continue our preparation by saying, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may live not in my own power but in your power. Put upon me the armor of light so I would be done with the ways of darkness and then live in his grace. As the believer in Jesus trusts in Jesus, as the believer in Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, what we see then is darkness turn around. Did you hear that song this morning as we came in to worship? Darkness comes against us. Darkness wants us to be caught unaware. Darkness wants us to be swept away, taken away for judgment. Being prepared means that we live in the armor of light, filled with the Holy Spirit, in which God resides with us, driving darkness away from us. And just as when Jesus returns, darkness will turn around and be destroyed. Preparation is a matter of grace. Repenting, trusting and living in the gospel. The gospel is that, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, came, lived a life of obedience and perfection, died a death in which the sins of the world were heaped upon him. But in the crucifixion was the great undoing of darkness, evil, and death because Jesus rose victorious. And so being prepared for his return means being found in him, trusting in him every day, receiving grace from him through word and sacrament, which are the chief means of grace in which God reveals himself to us, meets with us, strengthens our faith, quickens our faith, confirms our faith. 
And maybe this is exactly what Jesus wants for his followers. Not to worry about when he'll return, but living every day in complete trust and dependence upon him, knowing that he will return. Fundamentally, preparing for his coming means trusting in Jesus as Savior and obeying him as Lord, and that's really all preparation is. Believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, living everyday lives of faith in him as he would have us live in his light and in his grace and being done with the ways of darkness. Advent is that season during the year in which we intentionally look forward to Jesus' second coming by celebrating the historical fact of his first coming. In celebrating the first coming of Jesus, the, the coming of a coming in which he was born to Mary and was laid in a manger and was heralded by angels and shepherds, we are drawn to his second coming in which he will come with power and glory to consummate his reign as king, to judge evil and make all things right and new. About that coming, St. Augustine wrote, The first coming of Christ the Lord, God's Son and our God, was in obscurity. The second will be in the sight of the whole world. When he came in obscurity, no one recognized him but his own servants. When he comes openly, he will be known by both good and bad. When he came in obscurity, it was to be judged. When he comes openly, it will be to judge. Advent is that season of the year where we intentionally are called to prepare, where we are again reminded that Jesus is coming just as surely as he came. And when he comes, his desire is to find us prepared. Stay awake, be prepared, trust in Jesus, live in his light. The end of the world is coming. The only way to be fine is to be found in Jesus. Believers in Jesus are to be prepared for Christ's return. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God.